Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Megan. And this is Cinema Super Collider, where we're smashing up cinema one movie at a time. Greetings, my friends. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here, my friend. Can your heart stand the shocking fact about cinema, On this episode of Cinema Super Collider, we look at the 1984 science fiction action adventure film Runaway, starring Tom Selleck and Gene Simmons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's another Gene Simmons movie. It is kind of a Gene Simmons movie when you think about it. Well, he's the he's the lead villain in this film. He's yeah, he's the villain. I mean, I think that they needed a villain, and they were like, let's plug this dude in because honestly, like in a weird way. I kind of feel like this movie doesn't really need a strong villain because the villain is technology. Yeah, well, it needed to have someone for Tom Selleck to chase after because it, the whole second and third act of this movie are basically playing hide and go seek with Gene Simmons, right? Truth. You Truth. Know, yes. So, yeah. but the story uh, is about Tom Selleck is a cop with a fear of heights. Mm-hmm. And because of his fear of heights, he has decided to transfer over to the Runaway Squad. Right. right? And the Runaway Squad in this movie, in the future of 1985 or something. I, no, they, if you do the math using the, the few cues and stuff that are available, the, this is the distant future of 1991. 1991? Yes. Yeah. I saw something that an interview with Michael Crichton said he didn't want to make it a specific time in the future. He wanted it to be like, you know. The near future. The near future. Mm -hmm. Next year, year one, that kind of thing. So, in in the near future, uh, a lot of work is done by robots, and occasionally they go rogue, or they become runaways. Mm -hmm. That's what you call a a robot in the future that breaks loose of its programming and goes haywire. Yes. And so, the runaway squad in the police department is when whoever owns the robot or whatever can't turn it off, and it's causing some sort of mayhem or destruction in the streets, or murder, even. Right, but mostly mayhem and destruction. Mostly mayhem and destruction. The runaway squad shows up and, uh, you know, puts on their body armor or whatever if it's a dangerous situation and then goes to shut the robot down. The thing that's really neat about this is that the robots in it are very realistic and functional type robots. Right. And they don't look like people. So, you know, right around this time, we have like Star Wars coming out with all the droids that for the most part, with the exception of like the R2 units, you know, they kind of look human. And you've got Blade Runner and and movies like Blade Runner. iRobot. Yeah, but that that didn't come out before this movie. No, but I'm just saying that the humanoid robots are a standard trope in science fiction. For whatever reason, in movies and books, we, for for some reason, want to make our robots look like people. But I think that, that that's not really... In the real world, I don't think that would be a good idea for a variety of different reasons. Well, number one, like we're bipedal and that's not the most stable, like design yeah it's just it's it's completely impractical right and in order to make a robot run you need heavy batteries and heavy batteries in a bipedal man-shaped thing you'd have like a you'd have like a golem in your house and if it went haywire you'd be in real big trouble even if it just lost power like you'd have a big hunk of metal. You'd have something that weighs like a refrigerator in in your living room. Mm-hmm. You'd have to call the repair people to come out and fix it. Right, or the runaway squad. Or the run- <laughs> if it's a, if it's a runaway. Now the thing is, is that the so the robots, like Eric said, they're they're they've been made for practical uses, much like what we use robotics and AI for today. Which is kind of interesting to see where Crichton was back in the early 80s versus where we are now in the 2020s. We've got robots that are doing housework, right? You've got your Roomba. You've got the AI-assisted uh, 
you know, um, appliances like your AI refrigerator, your smart refrigerator, your smart thermostat, those sorts of things. I'm get a smart floor washer that detects how dirty your floor is and turns up or down the juice depending on how dirty the floor is. Truth, and it always tells us that the dirty water tank is full, and usually that means there's about a teaspoon of dirty water in it. Yeah. It's very sensitive to its dirty water consumption. Doesn't want dirty water in it. No. It's a robot vac. It's, it's a robot floor cleaner in a way. Right. It's part robot. Sure, and, and we also see in this film an early concept of a drone, right? I mean, everybody's got drones nowadays, you know? They're very accurate in its... Depiction in the film. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine that the the sort of ideas behind how to get a drone working, maybe they didn't have it. Yeah, it's got a central propeller. It's not a quadcopter type thing. Right. And they call it a floater, which is weird. But eh. it's it's basically a small camera drone that, that is used by law enforcement and the military and uh, hobbyists everywhere. Right, to go to in and see what's Fly going around on. in some, some house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if yeah. there's a problem in the house, you send it in and it flies around. And it's extremely realistic. And this is 30 years before anything even remotely, remote, remotely could be considered that. The other thing that's in the film, which is kind of remarkable, is instances of ipads right i was just about to say there's tablets in the in the film but like when did the first well the iphone came out first right yeah and that was in the mid 2000s something like yeah because i remember i remember i was working for a, a market research firm and all of the all of the people that that i supported were like oh we're gonna get iphones and i was like who the fuck needs an iphone i have this perfectly good razor flip phone why would you ever need anything more than that? Yeah, everybody had uh, what? What did you call it? That um, the thing that had all the buttons on it. The the it had like a full keyboard on there. Oh, a BlackBerry. A BlackBerry. That's how people texted in the two thousands, and then it was in the teens, I think, that we started getting the tablets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I just remember like on my on my my Motorola flip phone, you had to like hit the the buttons to get it to like cycle through the letters so that you. Oh can, yeah, you can I remember type, that. You can. We're old, everyone. We're we're old. Sorry. Yeah, you had to. Stay, it would be like A B C on the number one. Thing. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to do C, you'd have to hit you the get number really, one key three you, times. You get really quick at it. Yeah, and then there was predict, predictive text that kind of would help you finish the words. Sort of. Sort of. Kinda. It, wasn't, it wasn't that great. But anyway. Yeah, it so, still isn't that great. But this this movie came out in 1984. The the dreaded year, 1984. And the, the pa- tablets are integrated very seamlessly into this movie. And it com- they completely disappeared for me until Megan called my attention to it. It's like you you're so used to seeing tablets used all the time and it's used in this 1984 movie about some future time where there's robots and this and that and it's like well of course they have ipads well they didn't have ipads when they made this movie and you know and they're using crt monitors for things yeah because they didn't well, think there, of there's like no flat screen tvs there was no concept of a of a you know liquid LCD. yeah liquid crystal television set i yeah. mean but uh, you know and i think that the script is actually pretty good for I would, the movie so michael crichton both wrote and directed the film um this was the last of his science fiction movies that he directed uh he directed nine movies in total over the course of his career as a filmmaker yeah though he wrote a ton of scripts or a ton of things were modified off of books that he had written yeah he was a medical student or a doctor and then he quit that to be a science fiction writer yeah well you i know, think he wrote the great train robbery he did too. he did and he directed that and he directed well. that mm-hmm. and that's from i think the late 60s or early 70s i think it's the 70s but yeah yeah, yeah he he directed that he directed um a movie called Timeline, which he wrote as well. Westworld, right? West, the original Westworld, not the TV version, right? But, but the the whole concept of Westworld is, is based off based of, off of his book mm-hmm. Westworld. Yep, he did that. He directed a movie called Coma, which I don't believe that he wrote. No, Robin Cook wrote that book, right? But yeah. he directed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a number of other movies that he he directed right. as well. And we of course remember Jurassic Park. He 
didn't direct that. No, but... Another semi-famous director directed that, but he wrote the book and the script for that. Many summer homes were purchased on the the deal that was made for that property with him. Yeah, I remember reading the book Jurassic Park before the movie came out, and the book was like cool as hell. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was really just... It was it was great. It was around the time that anthropologists were all sort of beginning to agree that dinosaurs in their life behaved very much like birds. Mm. And up till that time, it was still sort of controversial. He still had like the idea of these big lizards sort of dragging their tails across the ground. And, you know, once they started making the connections, the anatomical connections between raptors and birds... Uh, you know, it, it caught on fairly quickly that this is the way dinosaurs behave, much like chickens or roadrunners or seagulls or whatever. Sea eagles. Sea eagles. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever have you. Yes, yes. Um, now, we did a Michael Crichton movie on the original run of the show. Maybe I'll post it as the classic episode this week. We, we did The Andromeda Strain, which... Oh, love The Andromeda Strain. Yes. Yeah, that's... <laughs> It's the movie that, that the one thing that I always remember about it is the 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 female scientist trancing out because she's got the the seizure in the blinking lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is the most sciency of science fiction movies. It's a ever. hard sci-fi movie. It's a hard sci-fi movie. Definitely, it does have uh, uh, animal abuse in the movie though, which is kind of hard to watch. But, well, the, yeah. I mean, to be fair. Uh, I mean, they said no animals were harmed in the filming of that movie. They lied. They lied. Yeah, quite clearly. And in Runaway, there there is there is a, a opening shot of a a farming robot that pulls a hornworm off of a. We do see a hornworm, maybe a live hornworm, being ground up in some piece of machinery. Yes. So at least one. At least ho- one worm was harmed. Worm. Those are the things you get on your tomato. There's tobacco ones and tomato ones. There's probably a bunch of other ones, but those are the ones that are commonly known. Right. Or commonly known by me, anyway. Oh well, good. So <laughs> now I think that the, I think that they're similar and that they're related and they're the things that you see on your tomato plants. They're big and pulpy and gross and green. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. The only thing I know about them is that apparently like those are the types of worms that you feed your reptiles because they're like super high in fat content and it's like a treat for your bearded dragon or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So Tom Selleck is on this uh, squad, you know, the the runaway squad, and he's assigned a new partner, a young lady who is going to be his partner. And we learn a little bit about her background. She was going to be a dancer, and then she went into medical, and then she did some construction work, and then she went into the police department because she couldn't think of something to do, and then she was working in traffic, and now she winds up here. And she's played by Cynthia Rhodes, who uh, is, is, I think, most known as an actual dancer. Like, that was her thing. She appeared in a movie called Staying Alive, which is the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, where John Travolta's character decides to go become a professional dancer on the Broadway. And she is also a dancer in that movie. She's also in another dancing-related movie, Dirty Dancing. She's not one of the main characters, but she is one of the named characters. Well, she runs really well in high heels, I will say that. Well, that Based just, on this movie. It so. just shows that she's a dancer. Dancer background. Mm-hmm. Yep. You got to learn how to do that. You got to learn how to how to not fall down on them high heels. And the instant she meets her new partner, Tom Selleck, I'm just going to call him Tom Selleck. It doesn't matter. I mean, he's Tom Selleck. His real name is Jack Callahan or something like that. No, it's not Callahan because that's Dirty Harry. No. But it's Jack something. But yeah, as soon as she meets him, she falls head over heels in love with him because he's Tom Selleck. I think his name is Ramsey. Yeah, could be. Jack Ramsey. That sounds right. But as soon as she meets him, she's completely in love with him, and he has no idea whatsoever. He's all business. And I really like the way his character is written and the way he's played, because he's like a complete square. Yes. Uh, and not at all a hero cop, not at all like action cop. He's not kind a- of a nerd. He reminds me a little bit of like one of the like CSI guys off of like one of the CSI procedural shows. Yeah. Where he's just like, look, I'm just here to do my job. I, I know about robots. If there's anything that I would take, I would detract from him and his performance is that he looks too much like Tom Selleck. He should look like a more of a normal guy, not a a, a a model. Well, but this is 1984, and Tom Selleck was kind of at the height of his Tom Selleckness in the 
in the well, early was, to mid smart to cast him early to mid yeah. 80s and well and the other thing too is like we're looking at this from the lens of 2023 in 1984 like that whole tom Selleck look was like super in you know the the mustache and the sort of like dad i'm not gonna say dad bod but like kind of dad bod he was a marlboro man yeah he was well he, you know he posed for marlboro cigarettes so he looked like a, a rugged cowboy sure and that know. was really in at that period of time I think guys that look like him will be really in at any time. No, but... but Maybe not the mustache, Look, there was a weird period of time in the early to mid-80s where cowboys were super in, and and they were reflected in a ton of movies and music and stuff at the time, too. Like, country-western music kind of had, like, a... A little bit of a resurgence as like a popular music for for everyone, not just the consumers of country and or Western music. You know, I remember like that was a lot of what you could see on TV at the time. The Mandrell sisters had a, a you know, a show. There was Hee Haw. There was, uh, you know, um, I know that there was at least one other sort of like country Western group that had their own sketch show. I feel like it God, I can't even remember what it is. It's yeah. a long time ago. But I also remember, like, I mean, I was a little girl in Kansas at the time, and everybody had cowboy hats. And everybody had those fucking, like, feather roach clips that you could clip <laughs> onto your cowboy hat. And but everybody had a pair of cowboy boots, you know? like The mustaches were thin on the ground, though, for little girls. Well, no, yes, I was not sporting a mustache. But I, I, I remember that being a choice that was popular that people had mustaches like that you mm-hmm. know and then it as quickly as it came it went away because it's not a good look unless you're somebody like tom Selleck. yeah i think this would have been better with like someone like a like a robert blake maybe or uh somebody who had like he like maybe not that just maybe not that handsome just somebody who's sort of middle-aged nah but we're not doing that in our first off the character's supposed to be 35 years old yeah so i mean despite the fact that i mean i guess tom Selleck was not that much older than 35 when he made this film he could pass for 35 i sure. mean he was 39 sure. that's how old he was when they filmed yeah, this he movie. Could pass for 35 but he looks like he's a dad yeah. Because he is. Yeah. He's got a kid. He's right. got a son who's what, about like 10? Something like, yeah. Like 9 or 10? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, okay. And and I don't think that you want to have somebody... They're supposed to be kind of romantic overtones in this, right? Well, I... You know, you don't... I don't think you needed them, but I feel like in 1984, if you had an action movie, you had to have... I f- it felt weirdly tacked on in, in a strange way, and it... Felt it was odd because it went the other way of the usual thing. You usually have like the sexy young, uh, uh, you know, partner comes in and then the older cop falls for her, the sexy young partner. You don't see like the young partner come in and fall for the sexy older cop. It's sort of weird and the power dynamic is kind of weird. Yeah, well. And he's, to be fair, he's not at all interested in her romantically whatsoever from no. the very beginning. No, and this is part of the thing that's that's kind of cool about it. It's like he sees completely through her. She could be like completely transparent. She's, well, she's there trying to look really nice for him. And he's like, come on, partner, let's do this and that. And it's like, you know. We're just doing our work, you know. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't see boys or girls. I don't see race. I don't see color. I don't see uh, uh, sex. I don't see anything. Just robots. Just robots, and and I just do my work. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it is. He's he's also a widow. We learn so. Yes. he's you know, it's a recent widow because yeah. his wife died in a car accident the year before this is this action is taking right. place, and there is. So he's not looking for any new action to take place. Well, not his a, son wants him to get his son desperately wants him to get laid and or married or but mostly laid it seems like it seems like uh and there is a moment in the movie the the other actress in this film uh is kirstie alley hot off of her performance in the star trek movie uh oh, the, that actually before cheers before her turn on cheers oh yeah yeah we, yeah way before then yeah i think the star trek movie came out in 1980 or 81 mm. oh yeah she was a vulcan she Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just floating around in space, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, so there is a point in this movie about halfway through where they introduce Kirstie Alley's character and Tom Selleck is like, wow, she's really attractive. And like the partner 
his partner is like right there and very she's clearly immediately like hugely jealous yeah i mean she she's she's very obviously into tom Selleck, and he's very clearly just not seeing anything about yeah. her as as being a woman yeah. or interested in him yeah he invites her over for dinner at some point and she's like you mean at your house dinner you want me to come over and he's like well, yeah, yeah sure you know we got to get to know one another we're partners i always take my new partners out to dinner and she's like well it doesn't matter for men and women right and he's like no of course not it doesn't matter i mean it's like, and she's like no, I think I'm going home. And he's like, wait, I I was making spaghetti, you know, something like that. Well, and by, and, by he was making spaghetti, his household robot Lois was making spaghetti. Yes. Lois might be my favorite character in the whole movie. Oh, yeah. Very early on, he gets a call from Lois and the new partner is like, oh, he's got a wife at home. Damn. She, he's talking to Lois. Yeah. And then when she comes over there after like their first adventure together, she just comes over there for like a beer after work. She's like, oh, Lois is your robot. Oh, I, at least I have a chance here. Lois looks like a stack of amplifiers. Yeah, she really does. She's the she boxiest like, motherfucking robot ever. Remember when people used to have those hi-fi systems in the 80s and in the 90s, and they were in like a black container, like vertical container, and they had all those, you know, like cassette decks and sure. and, and carousel CD it's players totally and all. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Yeah. And uh, that's like, it's really cool. She's got an arm on there and she can cook noodles and like you know do things around the house i do have some questions about because it seems like the, the robots only have one gripping like hand like appendage mm-hmm. and in my head i'm kind of like how does it because it cooks for for tom Selleck and his son like how how does clearly it... the special effects budget on this movie suffered a little bit well i also think that i think that creighton was probably going out of his way to make a point of like these are not human robots these are functional robots yeah. yeah the favorite robot among roboticists in movies and future movies is from interstellar where it's just like a black slab that rolls around and has like an arm that moves and it's like they they love it because it's like this is exactly what a robot would be like sure. it's just this thing that does stuff for that, you that does it basic makes shit. perfect sense to have it like that uh, i think also the one that's in moon with that, uh, it's just sort of like a a, a workstation that kind of goes around and it has a face on it, just like a little face. Oh, okay. Yeah, like uh, on the on the CRT screen, mm. and it like flashes a sad face when it's saying something that should be sad. That's sad. Yeah, mm. and a happy face when it should be something happy. But yeah, but, it's, there's nothing there's nothing human ish about these robots, except for the voice. The voice of Lois is very human. They the one thing that does seem to be. A humanizing element of Crichton's robots in Runaway is that they very clearly have used some actors or some voice persons, you know, voice commands so that when the robot is interacting with a human, it's a more natural conversation. But they even bring that up at one point when they're doing some detective work over at the the computer company where Gene Simmons works, right? He uses his eyeball to check in and it, the machine starts talking to him and he's like, wow, that's a really good voice. And the guy who works there is like, yeah, we installed an IC39 chip. That gives the, ro- you know, the voice yeah, it's human. Blah, 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 so, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was little details like that that I think made this really elevated this movie the tiny little bits of scientific stuff there were some uh chemicals that they mentioned that they pronounced correctly i was about to say you were just happy that they said the words correctly yeah there's just a lot of technology in here that you know some of it really doesn't make sense like the guided missile bullets and you know it's like it's a it's a thing for the movie to have and uh the the little spider robots which were (laughs) tinker toys yes um unfortunately but uh, you know we're getting ahead of ourselves right. you know so, what i started to summarize it and then i completely went off the track and so crashed. here's here's the tldr okay this movie is about uh, a cop whose job it is to deal with runaway robots which we've already kind of explained what that is and he comes upon a scene where there's a runaway robot and it, it's not just that the robot went haywire and started, you know, running around or, or breaking down. The robot actually murdered some people, first with a knife, and then the robot gets a hold of a gun. And, you know, Tom Selleck has to be a big hero. He goes in and there's a baby inside the house where the run, the murderous robot is. 
They deal with the robot, they save the child, and then they're like, we've got to find out what happened to this robot. Well, as it turns out, the robot has been tampered with and a computer chip that is not standard for these household robots was installed on it. And that computer chip allows the robot to have the ability to go beyond its basic programming and cause harm to humans. Right. That's the first law of robotics, right? Right. We can't harm humans. Cannot harm humans. But there's somebody put a chip in there to make the robot a murder machine. Right. Not only that, the chip will explode if you try and take it out or if it's programmed to. So that was they said it was like an arson chip. So what would have happened if that robot had fully succeeded? It would have murdered the whole family and then burned the house down. Yes. So so the ro- the robot opens a can of worms in which our lead uh, cop, Tom Selleck, and his partner go on a series of crime-solving excursions to figure out what's happening with this robot. At the same time, we're introduced to the bad guy of the piece, uh, who's Gene Simmons, a.k.a. Luther, not Lucifer. (laughs) Probably the funniest scene in this movie is when Stupid Chief makes Tom Selleck's character consult with a psychic to find out more information about robots. That is the most funny part of this movie. It's, there's, a, there's a few great comedy elements there in this are, movie, too. And it's it's just fucking ridiculous. But So we, we're introduced. Luther, played by Gene Simmons, is a evil criminal person who basically has has colluded with these two employees of the robot manufacturing company, doesn't matter what their name is, and they are not only made a bunch of these murder chips, but they also have the templates to the murder chips so that they can be reproduced. And the idea is is that he's going to take them and sell them off to terrorists and evil organizations and the mob and everything so that they can start turning household you know, innocent, quote unquote, robots into murder machines. Yeah, I liked the part where some of the computer engineers that he had dealt with, it was like Luigi Mondello, MIT graduate in, in high advanced electronics. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, married, has two children. Married, yeah, like Mario Mario Schifatelli, uh, another guy who was like, he graduated from Caltech with a degree in, you know, you know it's like all of these like mafia names that are all, uh, right, you know, all robotics the, specialists. Yes, but in like, the future. In the future, but. You know, also in their in their company files, like likes walks on beaches, <laughs> enjoys <true>. golfing. <laughs> it's like what? So it's a cat and mouse game between Tom Selleck and Gene Simmons, and there's some you know some things that happen in between. There's a high speed chase that involves guided bomb robots. There's there's a lot of you know good robot things that show up. There's also these horrible spider creature robots. That Gene Simmons has created. That the idea is perfectly fine. The execution is it's, terrible. It's just really bad. It's just terrible. Uh, it's unfortunate because it, it, if they hadn't been in the movie and there had been some other sort of mechanical menace that could have been sent after characters, it would have been like more impactful. But because they look sort of like... They sort of look like the Tinker Toy Lego set things yeah. that you can make. Or, yeah, like a Rector set. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they explode into fire bombs. Right. And they're the size of about a shoebox. They don't, they're, and they got six legs. They don't look like spiders. They call them spiders. It should be like those uh, little, uh, creepy spider things from that movie that had tom cruise in it uh where the precognition oh minority report minority report that had some like really cool spider robots in it sure this movie should have had those cool spider robots in it in my head i can imagine what he wanted the spider robots to look like yeah and they just didn't have the ability to make that i think in my head they were smaller yeah, maybe. That's what I'm thinking. I also think that the little legs probably worked independently so that it had a scuttling effect. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it's, it's, this is just... Like, Rather than a wind-up toy yeah. effect. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a poor wind-up toy effect. Yeah, it, yeah. At, at some point, so bad. Eric mentioned these, because one of the things that I have a collection of are I really like those tin wind-up robots that are sort of like 
old school, like vintage toys. And Eric will occasionally find like a good one and give it to me as a present. And I have one that moves like the spider robots in this movie, which is to say not well. (laughs) Yeah, the cats aren't even interested in it. No, no. It's just like, uh, well, sooner or later, it'll make it to the other side of the table if it doesn't run out of juice before then. Right. Yeah. So that's the thing. Uh, So do we want to go into any detail about all of the different uh, adventures they go on? I think at the first place they visit is a, a, you know, after... What's well? First, first we get the introduction to what the Runaway Squad is, and they go to a farm, uh, and Tom Selleck and his partner get heckled by a bunch of farmers. Oh, this part is really good. The intro intro part is excellent. Yeah, it's like a bunch of rednecks like hanging out by a pickup truck, going like, "We'll go get the robot." It's and going like, crazy. Why, why didn't you turn it off yourself? And he's like, "We tried. It wouldn't turn off." Yeah, and like, they're like, "It's your job anyway. Yeah. What do we pay you our taxes for? Yeah. You go turn it off." And so they get heckled by the the farmers as they run around after this agricultural robot, yeah, which right. the whole purpose of this robot is to pick hornworms off of crops. Yeah, and it's gone berserk and it's just destroying crops and kind of running around randomly, right? Yeah, so we get to, we get to see a little bit of a, a sort of Benny Hill comedy thing of the two cops running after a robot in a cornfield. Do they shoot it? No, I think that they have to like because the the old, the old farmers when they're bringing it out, it's like it's like turned off or dead or whatever. Yeah, they they disable it, and the farmers like hell. I could have done that with my twenty two. You didn't have to come out and do this. I could have shot it myself. And you you know? kind of get an eye roll from Tom Selleck, who's yeah. like, "Then why didn't you?" Uh, you know. <laughs> well, they didn't want to waste the money. You know, that's well, the thing. It's a, you yeah. know, it's a robot. Yeah, you got it. You can't shoot it because yeah. that'll fuck it up. So that's that shows you like. Uh, so then we see uh, that's what, like what his job is usually. Usually, like, right? right? That's the Runaway Squad, and then. Then the next sort of adventure is the house with the killer robot. The house with the killer robot, and he has to go in and rescue the child. Yes. And then the we have the mystery robot. Then and we see there's a high well, building, right? Well, but, but there is one thing about the rescuing the child thing that I particularly enjoyed and, and rooted for, and I know that this makes me a horrible human being. But one of the things that happened, this is like, you know, it's like, this horrible situation, this crisis situation that's going on. And so the news cameras and shit are there. And they've got like a, you know, like a, I'm here live reporting on this scene. And the newscaster sends her cameraman in after Tom Selleck when he's trying to like save this baby from a murderous robot with a gun. And the cameraman gets shot because he's being an asshole. And I was like, hooray! Yeah, it was pretty cool. Very good. It was pretty cool. It was handled very sort of matter-of-factly, too. They didn't well, they dwell a, on it. Look, they made a big point of saying, like, your equipment runs off the same frequencies that this robot uses to find out what's going on and see what's going on right. in, and in the And you have world. to be ec- extra special quiet because it can hear and it can see. And this guy's stumbling around with a camera with a light on it, right. dropping things on the floor. And so, of course, the, the robot yeah, finds him first and shoots him. And uh, also in this scene, Tom Selleck puts on a great deal of chainmail armor, basically. That was great, too. There's just a lot of great details mm-hmm. in this movie. This movie is far better than it needed to be. And I think that one of the benefits of having, not always having the writer be the director of your film is a good thing. We we obviously have shown many examples of where this is a bad thing on our show, right? But in this case, you have someone who is an, who is an expert in what he's talking about. He's talking about science. You have a science person who has written a science thing and is directing a science thing. And that expertise really shows through. It does, and it's in a very basic sort of way. It's not high-level science that only a scientist could understand, but it is science from a scientist person who knows enough about science Mm -hmm. that when he writes dialogue, it doesn't sound completely stupid and half-baked. Like, that was the one thing on Star Trek that they always had. That was like, reverse the polarity of the ion substack, and it was like, what the hell is all this, like, technobabble? And it was just technobabble. But these guys had technobabble that made science some kind of sense and yeah. it was like oh i would say that in some instances in Crichton's work he can sometimes get a little bit tied up in the actual science of things and in a book that's fine you got plenty of time to like read through that right he could like go off on a tangent about 
the robotic laws or the this or the that or the whatever. But in a movie, we've got a limited amount of time. So like, yeah, Roger Ebert gave it thumbs down. And that was basically his criticism of it. He was like, well, the the all the science and, and robots and stuff were pretty interesting, but the rest of the characters weren't. And which is true. I mean, yeah, I, the the robots and stuff, that's the most interesting part of the story, because otherwise it's just like a straight police procedural yeah. kind of detective show. I mean, the worst thing in this movie, which is ironic, because the last movie that we did that had Gene Simmons in it, we were like, the best thing in this movie was Gene Simmons. The worst thing in this movie is Gene Simmons. They didn't let him Gene Simmons it up. They just had him like smiling evilly. Well, apparently... He got the job because when Crichton auditioned him, he was like, look, I just want you to stare at me with no expression on your face for like a minute. Don't say this was Crichton's instructions to Gene Simmons. Yes. For the for the audition for his audition. He wanted him to just stare at him with no facial expression whatsoever. And that's, I guess, what got him the job. Was him (laughs) having no expression, him looking like Gene Simmons menacing, I guess. Yeah, he's not. He does a att- lot of staring in this movie. Yeah. He's not an attractive guy, but he's not a. He's not like a, a troll, but he's like he looks like a, a bad guy. He he, he yeah, looks like he, he should have played a lot of bad guy roles. He's not particularly good of an actor unless you're giving him some like crazy scene chewing, I guess. Yeah, and then you know, well, I mean, the thing is, is when that he writes in blood with his pinky fingernail, you know that that sort of thing. When he's, he's like, when he's Velvet Von, uh, <laughs> what was it? Uh, Velvet Von Velvet. I can't remember what his name was in that show. Isn't it like Ragnarok or something? Rag Ragnar Ragnar Vel- Velvet Ragnar Von Ragnar Velvet Rock. It still makes me laugh. I mean, he look, he was honestly the best part of that film. And I think it was largely due to the fact that he was essentially playing the, the demon, which is his kiss identity. Yeah. And yeah. But it, it was a little bit more uh, over uh, the top. Uh, bisexual in its nature than uh, Gene Simmons, the, the demon I, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think that sexuality has anything to do with it. I think it's just like being ri- a ridiculous caricature. Yeah, and he's trying in this movie to just be a person, kind of. Yeah, he's not a person. He's a rock star. He's just yeah. Well, I mean, you know, look, you, this is a thing. You put a rock star in your movie, you get free Jack. You know? Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, is that at least I will give Jim, Gene Simmons credit for having some kind of charisma on screen. Oh yeah. Whereas Mick Jagger and Free Jack did not. Oh, he was a black hole. He just was like a void of just nothing. Um. Right. So, okay. So we, we've kicked off our adventure. We, the, the thing about the murder house, the robot murder house to know one detail is that the father, the patriarch of the family that lived at that particular address was one of the people that was working with Luther to get these like murder chips made. And so, and we find out later on in the movie that Luther does not leave behind any witnesses. So he murders everyone. And so, both of his partners in crime in this murder chip thing, they, they're going to be dead. Yeah, because Luther, tell him about the gun. Tell him about the gun. He's got a special gun. Okay. So, so Luther has this gun, which, you know, uh, they needed a science fiction gun, and they made one. Did they? Or did they go to Toys R Us and pick up one of those little disc launcher guns and, and paint it no, silver? No, I feel that they went they were i think it sort of looked like a 45 but it had x it had like extra metal on it extra yeah extra plastic from another extra from another toys r us gun okay go ahead it was painted silver so his special science fiction gun shoots rocket bullets that are they're not just rocket powered but they're heat seeking missiles and not only are they heat seeking missiles they are heat seeking missiles that have been programmed to specifically go after the heat signature of specific individuals. If they've been programmed to do that. If they've been programmed They can to also that. just be like heat-seeking, just, just general heat-seeking just missiles. missiles. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. And so we see him murder a couple of people with these heat-seeking projectile missile bullets. And we get missile vision for yes. part of the movie. We get it's that. like the slowest moving bullet ever. Oh, oh my God. You know, like in Guardians of the Galaxy, that guy's got that arrow that he whistles and yeah, it moves around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this like the 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 bullet moves about at one tenth the speed of Yandu's arrow does. Oh, it's so slow. It is. It's, it's extremely slow. slow. Except when it's just in normal bullet mode, and then it goes pretty fast. It goes straight, right? Yeah, it's and, just it's a convenience thing. But 
I mean, they were trying a thing, okay? Like, we needed to see that Luther was this this robotic genius that could come up with these inventions. Cause, right. And not only do the missiles track you, but they explode. Well, yeah, of course. On impact. They're, so, ex- they're exploding missiles. Yeah, they're exploding missiles. So, sure. if it hits you, it, it the, the missile itself blows up, so mm-hmm. there's no bullet residue or anything inside of you. Right. Though they do get their hands on one of these bullets in an in a encounter... Kirstie Alley gives up where Gene Simmons' character is because she's his girlfriend and wants to get out of this, like, this whole microchip murder thing. And so she's like, he's got the Ritz Carlton in the presidential suite. He's making deals. And so they're like, okay, well, we'll go do that. And in the- so at that point, you should have called the real cops because he's, he's the, the runaway cop. Right. right. And I have I mean, to and we have but, to laugh because the guy that plays Stupid Chief in this movie, because Stupid Chief, of course, is a trope in movies. It's where, you know, the lieutenant, the chief, the captain, the whoever is the one who's given the the hero cop a hard time because he's making dumb decisions or he's blowing things up. I want up. your badge on my table. Yeah, your yeah. badge and your gun. Turn him over. The guy that plays Stupid Chief in this movie also plays Stupid Chief in the Police Academy movies. It's the same actor. Uh, I think it's the lieutenant in the Police Academy movies, and I think he's the captain in this. In this, he was typecast, is what you're saying. I mean, the thing is, is that he, he's a good stupid chief. Right? He doesn't. He does not portray. Uh, his name is G. W. Bailey. Um, he does not portray really any difference between the two characters. This is a serious, dramatic movie. Police Academy, obviously, is a comedy. He's playing the same character. There's no nuance in this performance whatsoever. <laughs> it's just, you need a stupid chief, you got one. You just get him out of central casting, plunk him in your movie, go for it, you know? But yes, he should have called the regular police for, for that particular and the encounter. super chief gets mad at him right rightfully so for him doing that right. he's, he's, like, he's, he's like, like tracked this thing down like where there's there's this international arms dealer kind of guy yeah with a bunch of other uh gangsters in a place that's got uh, bugs and electronics and surveillance and all this kind of stuff and all the cops are there and this guy just from the robot squad from the runaway squad shows up and he's like i'm doing this i'm gonna go in there and they're like wait no we need uh, people from no it's my it's my collar i'm yeah. Going in. Well, the thing is, the stupid chief is like, there are no robots present. There are no runaways present. There is no reason for you to be here. This is not your gig. These are all humans. Yeah. But when his partner gets injured, they, they, so this whole thing goes, they bust in and they- and It they, goes south. And everything goes south. There's like a drone hanging out at the ceiling and it fills the room with poison gas. And then uh, Gene Simmons- uh, uh, Gets his gun out. Lucifer. No, what's his name? Lucius? No. Luther. Luther. He starts shooting his gun and a bunch of people get shot and the partner gets shot. But the partner, when when the bullet hits his partner, for some reason it doesn't explode. It gets stuck in her arm. Yes. So he has to go in and remove it from her arm because if they took her to the hospital, chances are it would explode because of the jostling or the moving or well, something the, like and that. And they call in a special robot. That's gonna. That's supposed to like. Oh yeah, like a surgery robot, right? It's either a a a bomb removal robot. I think it's a bomb deactivation robot. And he's like, those things are crap. Yeah, he's like, this isn't even the new model, and the old models are terrible. They break down all the time. He's like, her arm's gonna get blown off. So it's like he's using his wits because he knows all about robots. Yeah, and and how they go bad, and they're they're pieces of shit. So, and then that's probably you know one of the most uh, teeth gritting scenes in the movie when he's trying to remove the bullet from her arm, and she's acting like it's like a pregnancy birth. I was just about to say, it's like. If you didn't know the context and you were just overhearing the dialogue and the sounds that were coming from the scene, from the the two actors, you'd be like, she's giving birth. She's having a baby. Yeah, she's... <laughs> he's like, relax, breathe. Okay, now push. And he doesn't say push. He doesn't say push, but that's he's the like... the only thing he doesn't he's like, say. He's, he keeps saying, it's almost there. It's, it's almost out. It's yeah. almost... And you're like... Yeah. Dude, it's going to be it. He grabs it and it <laughs> slips out of his forceps. You're watching it on this little uh, live x-ray screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty cool. I like that part. Yeah, no, it was it was cool. Except, I was uh, kind of on the edge of my seat a little bit. I except for the fact that like it did sort of take me out of it in that she she legitimately yeah. sounded like she was yeah. she was giving birth to like just just the the biggest most stuck baby ever. 
Yeah. <laughs> so he pulls it out of his out of her arm. He like throws it over his shoulder, like woo, into the bar. Into the bar. There's like the wet bar behind them and <gasps> the explodes bar. like a bomb. That it's like a did, grenade. That bar did not deserve that treatment. Oh my god. What is that? A blasting cap? I don't know even know what that would be. Oh, they even mentioned the chemicals that are in there, the explosive chemicals. Because they find a whole bullet and then they freeze it with some sort of freezing gun uh-huh. and then crack it open and then they show him, look, here's the section of the bullet with the propellant and here's the nozzles by which it can turn and here's the little directional thing and and that's how they find out it's heat seeking because uh, one cop's frustrated and he lights a cigarette. Yes, because back like, in the day you could just smoke on the job. <laughs> We've tried everything. We've tried light seeking, sound seeking, taste seeking, smell seeking. Fuck it, I'm going to smoke. I can't figure what out, you know, and then he lights a Heat seeking. It's cigarette seeking. There have been heat seeking missiles since way before 1985. I'll yes. tell you what. Yes. You know? No, it's the, 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 the heat seeking missile is like, is a Marlboro man in this room? Because yeah. I, I sense a cigarette coming into this, this picture. Yeah. There was, Kirstie Alley smoked a lot of cigarettes in she this did. movie, too. She, she sure did. Yeah. A, a lot of people smoked indoors. There's two things about this movie that, that sort of bugged me. One, the cigarette smoking. It's just like, yeah, that was the thing you could actually just do on the job. Which is fucking weird to me. But then the other thing that bothers me, and I know Eric didn't pick up on it, but I certainly did, is that the police woman uniform in this movie involves wearing a skirt. So your active duty cop uniform for women on duty involved a knee length skirt. Yeah, or below knee length kind of sort of constricting type of skirt like it's not something you could run in well and and the thing is is that i know that that was part of the uniform at some point in time in the world because sexism but it's like i just kept seeing his partner showing up to like they one scene we didn't talk about is they go to a construction site and this is where we kind of like it we double down on the fact that tom Selleck has a fear of heights because he can't even go up the service elevator to go deal with this runaway uh, it was like a stacker or something it was yeah it was the, funny he the, kept throwing like bags of cement yeah. over the edge of the building the robot kept throwing these bags of cement which then exploded <laughs> and all the dust went and into again time. he asked like well why didn't you guys turn it off and it was like union rules were not allowed to I think, it was, I think their insurance didn't or insurance or to. something like yeah. that but i mean it's it it was funny and it made a certain kind of sense right and so she she goes up like 10 floors or 18 floors or whatever yeah. it is to turn off the robot She's like i used to work in construction <laughs> yeah, and, yeah and she used to work in everything construction she was a traffic cop she wanted to be a dancer yeah yeah, yeah. She, she kind of floated around a little bit but anyhow, so my, my the thing that is very evident is she's on the job and she's doing physical things. She's going after this runaway robot and she's wearing a fucking skirt. It's just n- not cool movie. But I mean, at the time, the movie didn't know. It was 1984. I mean, times have changed. They wanted to show her legs. She's a dancer. She has nice legs, I guess. I, I mean, I th- didn't really notice. I don't even She wore think- these red pumps through the whole movie. Was, no, only at the end. Only, okay, yeah, she's actually in civilian clothes for like yes. the second half of the movie. Yeah, the last She's act. got the red pumps on. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, is that I would bet that part of the standard, the standard uniform for a police woman at the time most likely involved either pumps or some kind of like, you know, formal dress shoe that was not comfortable to walk around in. Yeah. So anyway, that's Megan's moment of historical sexism. Yeah. Ding. And she kind of flashes him from the top. She's like, hey, look at me. Are you listening? Can you see me? Anyhow, so so our first act is kind of over. We've we've started our mystery. We've started acquiring clues as to who the bad guy is and what what the fuck's going on. We know about the bullets, special bullets, right? We know about the special bullets. We know about the special chips. We have Kirstie Alley, who is Luther's girlfriend slash an executive secretary at the computer chip making factory who is in on this thing because Luther has roped her in on it and she's in possession of stolen chips and she says he's evil he's evil at one point yeah and it was like okay then i guess he's evil so act two is going after luther and trying to catch him uh whereas luther is trying to get the templates and the rest of the chips so that he can fuck off and do his evil shit and so we have a game of cat and mouse which which is kicked off by (laughs) scanning kirstie alley for bugs Oh, yeah, that was another weirdly sexist part of it. But again, it's like, 
you know well and they have this like special scanner in the police station it was fun it followed the rules of three they did so first tom Selleck gets scanned no bugs then uh cynthia rhodes gets scanned no bugs then we put kirstie alley in there uh sans purse which will become important and the, the bug scanner starts and it's like it gets down to like you know her collar where she's got a pin stuck in her blouse and it's like well that's a bug okay so we'll take so, so they're like take your blouse off and she's like fine okay take my blouse off the scanner goes down a little further and then it finds a pin in her bra or i'm sorry the scanner goes down a little further it finds a bug in her bra take your bra off so she does turns around though so we don't we don't get all of kirstie alley in her glory this happens a couple more times i think that, that there's one in her she's got one in her shoe she's got one in her her skirt her skirt yeah which they are able to just sort of remove right yeah. why they couldn't have done that from the other articles of clothing i don't quite understand they wanted to show kirstie alley's naked back sure fine mm-hmm. and <laughs> side note this movie was nominated for nothing except one award which was a, like a Hugo Award. Or it something? was a Saturn Award, oh, okay. and it was Best Supporting Actress for Kirstie Alley. I do not believe she won, but it was nominated. And wow, that's that was they were they were doing that because of her the turn in Star Trek. They were like, if the, you know, because they probably didn't award it to her in the Star Trek year, and they wanted to give it. Well, to her. and the thing is, is I kind of trust the Academy. I kind of feel like, and this is just, this is me being very unfair and stereotyping, but like. She got topless in this movie. You don't see her tits, but she get you know she takes her she takes articles of clothing off in this movie. And part of me's like, yeah, okay. The Saturn Award. She had really beautiful hair and beautiful eyes too. I didn't she did. really. I mean, I think of Kirstie Alley and I remember her from Cheers, and I thought she was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, she was. She was and, a funny. Uh, you know, she was like a supposed to be a femme fatale type well, in she's, this movie. She's very voluptuous. I feel you know. Yeah. Yeah, she's a femme fatale kind of mm-hmm. movie per- person in this movie, right? Yeah. And it turns out that that handbag she has also has a bug in it, right? It's got a tracker or something. Right, because yeah. there's a there's a auto chase scene where there's these little like radio control cars that are zooming in to blow them up because it's tracing her handbag, right? right? They're on a on a highway or something like that. I think it's a highway. Yeah. It's a it's a pretty cool scene. It kind of at first I kind of didn't see like like the angles and didn't really make sense but and then there's there's the the assistant the the partner the new partner is got a car with like a little laser turret on the top of it mm-hmm. and it's shooting these little cars and pew, pew. yeah i don't know i it's it's better the the idea of it is better than the execution yes. but it, it's okay it's fine it's all look, right they, look they had a, a high speed car chase that involved robots that was the brief you got you want to do an action film and you need to hit all of the the points of an action film but do it with robots. Mm-hmm. And so they had a car chase scene with robots. Yeah. And they zapped them with lasers. Yeah. Well, and then the next big scene we have is that sort of is at the end where it's at the at the the water well, it's not the end, but it's at the waterfall restaurant. Yes, they they go to a waterfall restaurant cuz basically the idea is is that there's a sushi vending machine too, which is kind of cool. A sushi robot vending machine. I want a sushi robot vending machine. I mean, it was fun. It was a fun thing they didn't need to put in there. And the yeah. sushi looked really good. So Yeah. And I don't understand why that didn't come true cuz there was a there's that, that could probably be easily maybe they have them in Japan. They probably have them somewhere. Sushi vending machine? Must must be cuz well, it's got to be something that's fairly easy for a machine to do, right? I think it's more than just it being a vending machine. I think it is I think that is the whole quote-unquote sushi restaurant, right? Oh. Cuz I think yeah. you you can get Sushi, but I think he also said something along the lines of like you ordered like the takamaki, yeah, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. So hand roll, yeah, yeah. So so it obviously has a little bit more functionality than just it's like got a cool neon sign of like a, a of a chef with a knife chopping like a sushi, sushi chef, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah. it had like a little recording too, like uh, you know, get your sushi here yeah. or have welcome your dinner. to sushi restaurant, yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. This was cool. Yeah, it was like right out of Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except not as dark and atmospheric as Blade Runner. So <laughs> so a little more realistic. It, it, this is the only point at which this movie's Venn diagram even touches up against Blade Runner because it, it really is not it's no. not Blade Runner in mm. any way. No. Free Jack was trying to be Blade Runner. This movie is just trying to be a movie about robots. 
But so now there's a like, like a exchange of hostages scene at a restaurant that's close by to the sushi place, and it's like an outdoor restaurant by a waterfall, an artificial waterfall. Yeah, it must be like a plaza. What did you say? This was in Toronto, Vancouver. Or in Vancouver. So it it has to be some. It was a location for sure. They didn't make oh, yeah. that set. No, no, no. Uh, and uh, looked like a really cool restaurant. I want to eat there. I mean, know? it look. You know, some of the locations were really nice looking. This one being one of them, and yeah. you know, and Gene Simmons got to jump off of a top of a waterfall, which was you know the only thing I will say about the scene. So we have an exchange of hostages, and some of the magic bullets get shot, but they don't seem to hit Tom Selleck, right? Well, he shoots him. Yeah, I think maybe just one magic bullet yeah. gets shot, but what ends up happening is Kirstie Alley gets she gets stabbed in the back of the head. Oh, that. <laughs> That's right. It discarded. And then, and then and nobody then notices. Just tossed it. You're sitting at a nice restaurant. You and your friends or you and your partner. It's like a patio. And it's, like the edge of the patio is like, like a pool. Lovely outdoor seating. And then the seating pool tumbles over a waterfall. In, into over a waterfall. The, yeah. So, you know, you've got this nice atmospheric thing going on. You're having a nice meal. You're having a cocktail. And a, a dead body splashes into the scenic pool that you are sitting next to. What is your response? In the movie, continue having your dinner and don't worry about that corpse that just dropped. There must have been some weird disjoint in in how they were filming or how they wanted that the, scene to run. There must have been because it was just like, I'm sorry, but if if a dead body just like plunked, even if a live body, like somebody loses their balance and falls into this like fountain pool thing. It doesn't make sense that she falls in there and nobody notices nobody until reacts. the bullets start flying. Like, it like, probably should have had bullets flying and then she should have tumbled in in the even, chaos of it all. Even when the rocket bullet gets shot, everyone's just like, oh, what well, is Yeah, a lot of people just sit and they're just like, oh, what is that? What, what just went whizzing by my head? Oh, explosion booms. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm just going to finish my appetizer here and then we'll just make We'll make our way to the exit yeah. in a calm fashion. No panic whatsoever. No, you know, no, no, no worries. Oh, look, look, dear, there's a corpse in the pool. Ah, I do love this, this terrace. It's so, delightful. Yeah. Gene Simmons, Lucifer, what's his name? Lucius? <laughs> Luther. Luther. He had the partner. So that was like the, the exchange. He, he somehow got a hold of, of Tom Selleck's partner. And he was at the restaurant, and he was like, I'll give you your, your partner back if you give me your Kirstie Alley back. And then everything goes sideways, yeah. right? And so now Tom Selleck's got his partner back, yes. you know, with her bandage on her arm. Right. And she's not in uniform because I, she, she must, was out to dinner, right? right? She she must be on, like, admin leave or something like that because she yeah. got shot, right? Because yeah. that's, what, that's what happens when cops get she shot. She has a kind of unfortunate hairstyle, too. I mean, it's, it's 1984, Eric. That was what people did back then. Oh, man. It was big and curly, and it had bangs. stupid bangs. It, my, my former uh, hairstylist used to refer to them as weenie roll bangs because it looks like you took a hot dog. And you stuck it in your bangs, and then you you rolled the hot dog around your bangs, uh-huh. and it made it nice and greasy. It ma- well, it made it nice and like super, super like spiral curled, as if like you just took that that hot dog right out of there, and then it just remained in place. It was uh, it was not a good look. Then I mean, and and this was trying to sex her up again. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, I think they were trying to like they make were trying her more to, yeah appealing than in her police costume because we're gonna have like a. 15-minute make-out session over the credits at oh the very God. end. <laughs> That's another just weird part of this movie. And then, and just to skip into the third act, the, uh, Gene Simmons kidnaps his son next. So he kids- Tom Selleck's son. Tom's, yeah, okay, yeah. It kidnaps Tom Selleck's son. We didn't talk about him. The son was kind of an interesting character, too. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was sort of annoying, but kind of cute. He just wanted his dad to get laid. He had priorities. Yeah. <laughs> and number and, one, and like he said something to his dad and his dad, because like he said, he saw his dad swearing on TV. Right. And he's like, I saw you saying bad words on TV. And he's like, oh, uh, well, you know, it was a certain situation. And the kid is, it's all right. Just don't let it happen again. Yes. <laughs> Which I really loved that part. Because, mm-hmm. uh, and then they, you know, then they had a laugh together. They seemed like they had chemistry, the kid and him. I mean, most, look, here's the thing. The only relationship that does not work for me in this movie is anything that touches Luther as a character. 
Really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, genes, even the even the sort of adversarial, you know, cat and mouse thing between Tom Selleck and and Gene Simmons as performers, like I didn't really I didn't really believe that. Gene Simmons was too evil, evil, too crazy evil. Yes. I mean, it, it, if you're going to use Gene Simmons in your movie, you want him to be crazy evil yeah. because crazy evil gene simmons like heightens your movie but this was supposed to be like a a blofeld type character or maybe not that high up but like a, a a conniving sort of electronics expert who's going to sell secret technology to terrorists and stuff not some kind of like bloodthirsty maniac yeah not a clown yeah basically and so they and, and so the character kind of becomes this bloodthirsty maniac and it you know, it sort of it, it takes you know, away from the drama of the movie a little bit. You know who would have been great in this role? Mm. Mike from Breaking Bad. Oh yeah! Oh, he'd have been great. Mike from Breaking Bad would have been perfect in this role. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's Somebody take, like that. We'll just take him out of Free Jack and we'll put him into this movie. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just switch it around. Yeah, <laughs> that would have worked much better. Yeah, that yeah. would have been great. And then he wouldn't have had to been in Free Jack. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> And we could have had Emilio Estevez in this movie instead of Tom Selleck, and then it would have worked better, too. No, I disagree. I don't think Emilio Estevez would have been a good swap. Anyway, the climax occurs on this tall building that's under construction, probably the one we saw at the beginning. Yes, and my favorite function feature of this building is that it has an elevator that has several different buttons on it. One that goes up, one that goes down, one that stops, but the very top button is human speed i didn't get it at all at first i was like human speed like what why human speed like does this elevator use other speeds like is it a robot elevator or what and and yes Yes. that is that's exactly what it is it's a mostly used by robots and so the elevator defaults to robot speed there should have been a switch robot speed human speed switch on there no I and then it could like, be like make the switch over to human speed i kind of like the fact that the default setting on the construction elevator is just for robots yeah which is way way faster than human speed right well they're heavier and they're not yeah. scared of heights right <laughs> and so there's lo- there's just a whole lot of business going up and down elevators and shooting and sparks flying everywhere yeah i mean basically like, it's just gene simmons wants the templates that Kirstie Alley kind of fucked around with and then found out about and so he's gonna he's gonna murder everybody because remember he doesn't leave any sort of witnesses or any kind of people that can make his life miserable so he's basically like look when that elevator gets to the bottom of the, the construction site my death spiders are going to kill your son and then things happen yeah uh there yeah there's a he gets catapulted up. This Tom Selleck gets catapulted up to the top of the building at robot speed. Yes, uh, like it up to a tower above the building, even uh, like at the very peak of the elevator. And then the little spider robots <laughs> go up there and start jumping on him. And uh, you know, it's just it would be so easy to just kick him over the side. I think he does. He one, does. He does. But end then, up like the rest of them, the he's like, "Oh, I can't kick them over the side." Well, he catches one in his like jacket and like yeah. throws it over. Oh, the yeah, side. that was funny too. And he kicks yeah. one, and then he electrocutes one. Yeah, yeah. And one even punctures his hand once, and apparently well, that didn't affect him. It's not that much poison. He gets sprayed in the face with acid. Like it's Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And his cheeks just, are all burned and it's stuff. It's just the worst. It's the worst night of Tom Selleck's life, except yeah. for that one time when his wife got killed in a car accident. And then he, and at the, at the, so, and his partner shows up to rescue the little boy. Right. And that happens. And then, uh, uh, Gene Simmons winds up monologuing over Tom Selleck in an elevator. Tom Selleck is like, done. He's like, he's been shot. He's been burned. He's been injected. He's fallen. He's had this terrible reaction to being up high. Uh, His son is dead for all he knows. It's just, you know, the end of it. And so Gene Simmons starts monologuing. Well, 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 once again, you see there is nothing you can possess, which I cannot take away. That sort of deal. Uh And then he pushes a bunch of buttons on the elevator and the the elevator zooms up and then zooms down. And then Gene Simmons falls out of the elevator. And those spider robots that were programmed to kill the first person to get off the elevator guess who's the first person to get off the elevator it was gene simmons luther so he's dead 
Yeah, he has like, this this death, and they crawl all over him and death inject by him. A, death by a thousand shambling robots. Oh my god, these little toy spiders. Yes. It's really sad. It is sad. Yeah. Uh, and he, not before he wakes up for like one second at he the does, end. Oh God, it was he, terrible. He does the scream ending where it's like they shoot the the ghost face killer and then like Neve Campbell's just waiting for him to c- jump back up. And yeah. then he does. Yeah. And she, she shoots him again. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with this. It's like Gene Simmons is super dead, but is he? And yeah, yeah he is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But not before he gets to go, ah! You know, and which was stupid. It was really stupid. Yeah, but then, oh my god! Then, like the, the there is no more. That's no more denouement. That's it. That's it. But the movie is essentially done, except for the fact that Tom Selleck's partner wanders over and is like, "Hey, let's get dinner." You, or, well, first she says you look like shit because he does. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, "Let's go get dinner," and he's like, "Dinner." And there's a little bit like of, you mean between two partners, not a man and a woman. And she's, and she's like, like, eh, whatever. I don't know. I'm going to kiss you now. Yeah. And, and she leans over and just really, they, they just start they making just, out. Yep. While the sparks fly. Shower of sparks. Two things. Number one, they continue to make out in real time while the credits roll. They wanted a kiss. They wanted a real good They kiss. wanted to see Tom Selleck kiss a woman on the screen. That was part of the deal of the whole movie. It was Yep. He didn't kiss anybody. Right. This whole movie, the romantic Ro- lead, the hot guy in the movie, nothing. Gets nope. nothing. Right? I mean, gets a lot of robots. Yeah. And, and even at the very end, it's like, he, I mean, it's, it's implied that they're together now and i think part of the reason why they went through so much uh detail about like her past is to show that she wasn't trying to work her way up through the ranks to be a cop she just kind of you know just 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 sort of a job that just a job to do yeah so like so she's like oh she's like do you cook and she says want to find out oh boy yeah yeah and uh uh then they start making out but it's it's like also like multiple multiple traumatic things have just happened yes many people have been murdered many terrible things have been done his face is burned off he looks like shit he's wiping the grease off of her face while they're making out well part of it is the grease wiping off and then part of it just seems to be that tom Selleck just wants to boop her nose like give her a nose boop Nah, i looked at it a second time is it it grease like it's still grease because they're making out so hard he's got like all his burns and grease all over his face and they're making out like crazy because i was gonna say nose boops they seem like they might be like cute and romantic but they're kind of not look the the time to make out was not that time was was not after you just no. uh you just murdered gene no. simmons no with, it's with like after robots. he goes to the hospital and gets his wounds taken care of and cleaned and then she gets to go home and take care of her business and then they go over to tom Selleck's house and then she makes him dinner at his house and they have a nice romantic moment at the house together. Well, here's the other thing. But they wanted to get the hell out of that movie because it was like, they were just like, we're there done. There was no more. We're done. No but, more. but watch this for like the five minutes worth of credits that are going to roll. Secondly, the son is like legitimately just off camera watching his dad make out with someone after he, I'm sure, saw at least some of the traumatic events that just happened. I mean, at very least, he saw Gene Simmons get murdered. And and secondly, his dad looks like his face just went through like a lawnmower. Yeah, the kid's pretty hardy, though. It's like, well, and so I saw you on TV, but I wasn't really scared. Right. And and I guess the other thing is that the kid really wants his dad to get laid. So like watching his dad make out with like new mom, basically. Yeah, he wants to see his dad get laid and he wants to look up dinosaurs on his iPad. I mean, what nine year old kid doesn't want those two things? for listening to Cinema Super Collider. You can find us online at anchor.fm, but you can also subscribe to our podcast via any of the major podcast networks, including the Apple Store, Spotify, and others. If you'd like to email us, you can reach us at cinemasupercast at gmail.com. Thanks, and we hope to see you again in the future. Tears are falling in the